Way City Church, located in Woodbridge, Virginia, is led by Pastor Marlon Yearwood and exists to reach the lost and disciple the believer. This is the day that the Lord has made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. It is a good day. It is an excellent day today. Uh, Today we're going to be in the book of John, John chapter 20, even more specifically. And let me give you a little background on the book of John. The book of John was written somewhere around 85 AD, and it's the last of the Gospels to be written. And it was written specifically to Gentiles, and Jesus, uh, or or John more so, he sought to uh, strengthen the faith of the second generation believers. And this Gospel, it seeks to highlight the deity of Christ. And during the week, if you completed our church assigned Bible readings, then you would have read up to John chapter 20. And we began this week reading the section of the Bible known as the Upper Room Discourse, found in John chapters uh, 13 through 17. And then this past Friday, we had an amazing time together and we read together online John chapter 18 and John chapter 19. In John chapters 13 through 17, we find out what Jesus did and taught the final night before the crucifixion. We have five chapters that record that final night before Jesus's crucifixion, also known again as the Upper Room Discourse. In John chapter 13, Jesus does some uh, super important stuff there. He washes the disciples' feet. Jesus identifies Judas as his betrayer. He has his last supper with his disciples. He predicts Peter's denial. And finally, he tells his disciples that he is going away. And then John chapter 14, Jesus does, Jesus says some amazing things in John chapter 14. He says, let not your heart be troubled that I am going away. You believe in God, believe also in me. I am going to prepare a place for you. And he's saying, we will be together again. He also says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, if you've known me, you've known the Father. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. He says, I will leave for you the Spirit, the Helper, the comforter that will be with you forever. And then finally in John chapter 14, he says, I leave you my peace. In John chapter 15, Jesus uses the metaphor of himself being the true vine and his father being the vine dresser. And he speaks to his disciples about the importance of abiding in him. In John chapter 16, Jesus speaks about the work of the Holy Spirit here on the earth and the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And finally, he ends John chapter 16, assuring his disciples that he himself has overcome the world. Praise God. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays for himself. Jesus prays for his disciples and Jesus ultimately prays for all believers. In John Chapter 18, Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's then illegally placed on trial and he's brought before Anas first and then he's brought before Caiaphas and then finally he's brought before Pilate. In John chapter 19, Jesus is mocked, he is beaten, he is whipped, he is scourged. They place a crown of thorns on his head and they place him on a cross and they crucify him. 
in John chapter 19, but it is true that Jesus' life was not taken from him, but he himself laid it down. Jesus says in John 19 on the cross, he says, it is finished. He dies and he's buried in a sealed tomb, which belonged to a man by the name of Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea. And there is where we ended our time. And now we find ourselves in John chapter 20. So let's pause and let's take a moment to read John chapter 20. Let's get our minds and our hearts uh, settled and, and ready today to receive the mighty word of God in John chapter 20. Pause and prepare your hearts for God's word. John chapter 20. We're going to read the entire chapter, uh, verses 1 through 30. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. And we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he stooping down and looking in saw the linen cloths lying there. Yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple whom came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. Verse 11. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord 
and that he had spoken these things to her. Verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. Amen. Praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word today. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your anointing. We thank you, Lord God Almighty, for John chapter 20. We thank you, Lord, that as we're going to read in just a few moments, Lord, that the tomb was empty and we're going to uh, read uh, and, and learn what all of that was about. But we thank you, Jesus, that your word is truth, that your word is life. We thank you that your word endures forever it has been tried, it has been tested, and it has proven to be true. Father, we thank you that your word is truth and let every man be a liar, but let your word be true. Let God be true. Let God be true. Let God be true and every man a liar. You are truth. Your word is truth. And Father, if the entire world voted against your word, your word would still be true. If, your, if this entire world uh, voted against, Lord, uh, the resurrection, uh, 
and the empty tomb and the things that we're about to read today, they would all be liars and your word would still be truth. We thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your death. And Lord, we thank you for John chapter 20, for the resurrection. We love you, Lord. We bless you. We magnify you. And we give this time into your hands. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. So today we find ourselves in John chapter 20 this morning. And there are five things that John chapter 20 highlights. The chapter can be broken into five uh, topics, five uh, portions or five points. There will be five points that I will highlight today from John chapter 20. Uh, number one will be the empty tomb. Number two will be the risen Lord. Number three will be the sent believers. Number four will be the transformation of Thomas. And the number five would be the purpose of this book. So number one, again, the empty tomb. Number two, again, the risen Lord. Number three will be the sent believers. Number four, the transformation of Thomas. And then number five, the purpose of this book. The empty tomb is found in verses one through 10. The risen Lord is found in verses 11 through 18. The sent believers is found in verses 19 through 23, the transformation of Thomas is found in verses 24 through 29. And then finally, the purpose of this entire book, the book of John, is found within verses 30 and 31. So let's jump right in this morning. Uh, point number one, point number one, the empty tomb, verses one through ten. Now, it's important that you have your Bible so that you're able to follow with me this morning. If not, you may get lost. I'm, I'm moving uh, fairly quickly through this. I'm not going to spend uh, too much time on, on any single verse because I want to get through the entire chapter. So verse 1, the empty tomb. Uh, this is point number 1, verses 1 through 10. Now, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early. She went early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And that is beautiful. Now her purpose for going to the tomb was to anoint the body of Jesus. And the other gospels also tell us that she was not alone at this point, but her purpose for going was to anoint the body of Jesus. She, she was not going uh, expecting to see an empty tomb. Her purpose for going was to anoint the body of Jesus. Now, this amazes me because according to uh, Mark's gospel in Mark 16, I know that the women, they were concerned and they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? They were concerned and they were discussing among, among themselves as they were going to the tomb. And their concern and their deep worry was, man, who's going to 
roll away this mighty stone from the tomb for us so that we can anoint the body of Jesus. And it's funny because their, their worry was in vain because the stone had already been rolled away. And it amazes me when we worry and we're deeply concerned about things that God has already taken care of for us. I'm also amazed because I know that according to Matthew 27, the tomb was secure and it was sealed. That was man's attempt. The tomb was secure. The tomb was sealed. There were guards outside. And that was man's attempt to stop anything from going in or anything from coming out. And boy, did man's attempt fail. Verse 2, then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Okay, so, so far, so good. The tomb is empty. Praise God. The tomb is empty. Praise God. But Mary, she's not praising God right now. She's not praising God yet. She still thinks that he's dead and his body's just been transferred to some other place. Now, if the Bible said that Mary walked into the tomb and there she saw the precious body of Jesus laid limp and lifeless and she began to weep, then boy, are we in trouble. But that's not what the Bible says. So, so far it's looking good. We have an empty tomb, we're on track. But we still don't know yet. It's, but it's still looking good. It's looking good so far, but we don't know for sure. But the tomb is empty. And by the way, side note, do you know, are you aware that you can go to the tomb of Confucius in Jinning, China? And the remains are there because he's dead. Are you aware that you can go to the tomb of Buddha in Pinglaing, China, and the remains are there because he is dead? Do you know that you can go to the tomb of Muhammad in Medina, Saudi Arabia, and the remains are there because he is dead, but the tomb of Jesus, empty, Empty, empty. Praise God. The tomb of Jesus was empty. Okay, so she runs and tells Peter and the other disciple, who is John, by the way, in verse 3. Peter, therefore, verse 3, went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outrun Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there. Yet he did not go in. You know, th this reminds me as I read about Jesus' linen cloths lying there, that everything earthly, everything earthly we will leave behind. There's nothing that we can take with us. Everything that belongs to this world will truly remain here. And we will go and just like Jesus, taking nothing with us, even the clothes that we died in, even the clothes that they wrapped our dead bodies in, they will remain here in this earth 
upon this earth and they will deteriorate and they will stay here, but we ourselves will be gone. Everything in this world that comforts us, everything in this world that we are wrapped in, everything in this world that, that cares for the physical body will remain here, but we will leave it behind. Verse 6, then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there. Verse 7, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. You know, I often wonder why this verse specifically is, is highlighted. That the handkerchief that had been around his head was folded together in a place by itself. Now, there are some, some rumors uh, that have been spread that the uh, handkerchief uh, itself, um, and again, these are just, are just rumors, but I thought I would mention it to you, um, that a folded handkerchief was significant in some kind of way. There are rumors going around that speaks about a, a servant would know that his master was, um, was done with his meal if when the master would leave from the table, he would crumple up his uh, napkin, his handkerchief, and he would leave it on the table, and then he would leave, and the servant would know that his master um, uh, will not be returning uh, because he's done with his meal and the napkin is crumpled up and uh, kind of tossed on the table somewhere. But if the napkin was neatly folded together, then the servant would know that the, that the master will return. He's leaving for a moment of time, but he will come back to the table and he is not finished. But I believe that's maybe just one of our uh, European uh, twists uh, on the story. Um, there's, no, uh, there's no evidence uh, of that, but that is a rumor that goes around. So I'm just throwing that out there uh, for your enjoyment. Um, but anyway, he... His napkin was there. It was placed by itself. There is some significance in that, whatever that may be. Verse 8, then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. Okay, so don't misunderstand the verse here. What exactly did John see, hear, and believe? He came and he saw and he believed. What he believed here was Mary's report that Jesus was no longer in the tomb, that the tomb was empty. That's what he saw and that's what he believed. He did not know or believe that Jesus had risen yet. And the disciples, they go home. And they return to their lives as before. How sad. They go home and they just return to their lives as before. Point number two, the risen Lord. 
Mary Magdalene sees the risen Lord, but Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said, because they've taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they have laid him. Now, when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, she says to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she recognizes his voice. My sheep shall know me, my sheep shall know my voice and a stranger's voice they will not follow. And he says, Mary. And all of a sudden, she recognizes his voice. She turned to him and said, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord. She came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. So by point number two, we recognize that he is risen indeed. He is risen. Praise God. The tomb being empty is amazing. We're on the right track. But now He's been seen. It is visible. There are eyewitnesses. He is risen indeed. So for that, we rejoice. An empty tomb without seeing the risen Lord could be questionable, but the tomb was empty and indeed he was seen. And there were eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses firsthand. 1 Corinthians 15, 6 says that there were more than 500 people that saw him after he rose Again, after Jesus rose again, he appeared for 40 days on the earth and he was showing himself to people. And there were more than 500 eyewitnesses that saw the risen Lord. And this is what separates us from every other religion. Jesus Christ is risen. The fact that he died is amazing. We know why he died. But so did Buddha die. So did Confucius die. So did Muhammad die. So did any other so-called prophet or God die. But the proof and the power is not only in the death, but it is truly in the resurrection. And this is what separates Jesus Christ and Christianity from every other faith and from every other doctrine and every other truth and every other religion in the entire world. It is that he is risen and we rejoice in that. We, we, we praise him in that. And that is what we celebrate today, that our savior is risen in deed. And this is what separates us from every other religion. Jesus Christ is risen. The tomb was not only empty, but he rose from the dead. I stress that point. And we have eyewitness accounts. And that's important. And we also have the testimony of the spirit that lives and dwells within us. The one who has transformed our own lives and taken us from darkness into light. So we have the eyewitness reports, but we also have the testimony of the Spirit. And again, that's what we celebrate 
today. And this is not a complicated truth. It's a simple one. It is a simple truth indeed. And I need not give any great explanation of this truth this morning. But it is simple and it is true and it is life changing. Jesus is risen indeed. And that means for us today that we can have life and that we can have life abundant. Praise the Lord. Point number three. Moving on, verses 19 through 23, the sent believers. The same day at evening being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. As the Father has sent me into this world, I also send you. Amazing. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. After Jesus' arrest and crucifixion, his disciples, they responded by hiding in the upper room. They were confused and they were afraid of what the Jewish people might do to them as they uh, saw firsthand what the Jewish people did to Jesus. So they're terrified, they're fearful and they're afraid and they're actually, they're hiding in fear in the upper room. And Jesus then, knowing where they are, He knew exactly where they were. He met them there. He knew where they were. He knew why they were there. He understood their fears. And the risen Lord appeared in their midst. And immediately he said to these frantic, fearful disciples, immediately he enters, he comes in and he says, peace, peace, peace be with you. Peace be with you. And there's a calm. And then he did something very significant. He showed them his hands and his side. His pierced hands and his side speak of his finished work. Jesus was communicating loudly to his disciples that he had paid the price for their sins. And that they needn't be afraid of what was happening anymore. And that they could come boldly to God in the time of need because the work is finished. And that's what he communicated to his disciples. And it it amazes me how Jesus meets these fearful, terrified disciples in the upper room, by the way. And he gives them the commission to go forth. He gives them the commission. And it's also amazing that in the same a uh, place where the disciples were fearful and afraid called the upper room. This is the same place where the Spirit of God came upon them uh, in Acts chapter 2 and, and filled the room and, and filled every individual. But Jesus says to them uh, in, in John, He says, uh, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. He sends them out, but not before saying to them, receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit then uh, equips and empowers them. But this, I believe in, in, in John here, this is not the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit 
released. Because again, Acts chapter 2 was the fullness of the Spirit released on the day of Pentecost. So this releasing of the Spirit uh, to me is, is more of a type of uh, conversion uh, experience, I would say, for the disciples where, where the Holy Spirit came and there was a, an empowerment, there was a, uh, um, a, a bearing witness uh, of the Spirit. Um, but it was not the fullness of the Spirit as was displayed uh, in Acts chapter 2, but more of a, of a knowing and of a conversion experience where, man, I know now that this is true because the Spirit testifies now and bears witness that this is true. Verse 21, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Jesus, he expects them to go and he expects you to go. I'm not going to get too much into that for sake of time, but he expects his disciples to go. He gives them the commission. They now know the truth. They've seen the truth. And he says, as the father has sent me, I send you. So go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go be on mission. And that is the that is the command for Today, that is the mission for you today, that you are a sent one, you have been commissioned by him, so go forth. Point number four, the transformation of Thomas, verses 24 through 29, seeing and believing. Now, Thomas, the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see Unless I see his hands, uh, the print of the nails and put my fingers into the print of the nails and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. He said, unless I see in his hands, first of all, I have to see in his hands the print of the nails. Not only do I have to see, but then I have to put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side as well. And if I do not see that, and if I do not touch that, if I do not feel that, then I will not believe. Verse 26, and after eight days, Jesus is patient, isn't he? After eight days, and Jesus is not in, intimidated by uh, his doubt or unbelief. So after eight days, Thomas is in doubt for eight days, and Jesus, he doesn't rush, but he takes eight days, and he comes. After eight days, verse 26, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Again, peace specifically to you and peace to Thomas. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, He was overwhelmed. He said to him, My Lord and my God. I almost see Thomas almost falling to his knees and just saying, my Lord and, and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I want you to understand this today. I want you to know that doubt is a choice. Doubt is a choice and it creates its own conditions. Jesus clearly said, do not be unbelieving, but believing. As, as simple as that. Belief is a choice. Jesus said, don't be unbelieving, believe. Doubt is a choice, just as belief is a choice. 
Doubt is a choice and it creates its own conditions. Thomas said, unless I see, these were the conditions that, that Thomas created within his own mind based on whether or not he would believe or not. He said, unless I see in his hands, first condition, I have to see in his hands the print of the nails, number one. Second, I have to then touch, I have to feel, I have to put my fingers into the print of the nails. And then thirdly, three conditions, then I have to put my hand into his side uh, and, and feel it. Um, and if this doesn't happen, I won't believe. If this happens, sure, I'll believe. But if not, mm -mm. I'm not believing. Those were the conditions for him believing. In Luke chapter, chapter 16, Luke 16, the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man believes, Luke 16, 19 through 31. You can read that story. But the rich man here in this story, he believes that his brothers will definitely believe if Lazarus comes back from the dead and ministers to them. In this story, um, Lazarus was a, a man who was poor, uh, who lived and begged at the rich man's gate. They both died around the same time. And Lazarus went to a place called Abraham's bosom. And um, the rich man, he went to, to hell. And that's where he was. So here he is in hell and he's pleading with, with Abraham. And he's saying, Abraham, could you just send uh, Lazarus to, to go back to earth and minister to my brothers and, and, and speak to them. And he says, listen, if, if Lazarus comes back from the dead and speaks to my five brothers, listen, they will believe and they will repent and they won't have to come to this place. But Abraham uh, says to them, he says, hey, listen, hey, uh, no, that's actually not true. Those are the conditions that you may think they have, but the truth is if they don't see and believe, if they don't hear the prophets that are there right now, then actually they won't even believe if someone comes from the dead and speaks to them. So those were the conditions that the rich men believed were, uh, were possible in order for their brothers or his brothers to receive um, eternal life. But Abraham says, nope. Actually, if they don't believe and hear the prophets, then they won't believe at all. Belief is a choice, just as doubt and unbelief is a choice. Notice here that Thomas, after seeing Jesus and creating within his mind what he thought it would take for him to believe, after seeing Jesus, notice here, it seems as though it was enough. And we don't see anywhere here in the text where he actually uh, placed his hand in Jesus' side. We don't see anywhere in the text where he actually uh, placed his hand in Jesus' hands. We don't see that. So, so it seems as though when Thomas saw Jesus, uh, it was enough. It was enough. What he thought was his conditions for him to believe actually it was not. Just seeing Jesus was enough for him to believe. And many of you today, you have individuals in your lives and around you where you also think that they will either or they will never believe unless they see certain things or unless certain uh, things happen in their life. You have determined that they will never believe unless these certain things take place. And I'm telling you, that is not true. They will believe 
they will believe if these specific things happen in this specific order, then I know for sure that these folks will have a chance at believing that is not true. I would say to you, present to them the simplicity of Jesus. Show them Jesus. All these folks, do you think they will never come to Jesus unless uh, lightning strikes and, and hits them? Unless Jesus uh, uh, him, himself uh, comes in the flesh and taps them on the shoulder? Unless uh, five camels walk into their home and say, trust and believe in Jesus? Whatever it is that you think people need to see before they will believe in Jesus, I would say, that is not always the case. Just present to them the simplicity of Jesus. Just, just show them. Just show them Jesus. Simple, raw Jesus and see what happens. And then finally, we race through this today, but finally, point number five, the purpose of the book of John, verse 30 and verse 31. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, but these are written, but these are written. There are many other things that were not written, but these are written, but the things that are written, that's what we focus on. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Amen. The purpose of this book is so that you may believe that you may believe that Jesus is the son of God and that by believing not just the world but that you my friends specifically that you may have life in his name the purpose of this book and why it was written was not just for your information alone it was not just for head knowledge for knowledge puffs up the purpose of this book and why it was written was not for the purpose of winning theological arguments and theological fights. Even though you should and you must study the scriptures to show yourself approved, a workman unto God that, that is not ashamed. But the purpose of this book is so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You are the reason why Christ came and suffered. You are the reason why Christ came and suffered and died. You are the reason why he rose again. To prove to you his power. To prove to you that he is who he said he is that who is that, that that he is who he said he was that he truly is exactly who he said he was to to prove that to you to prove to you that his words can be trusted to prove to you that he can overcome death and that by believing in him Christ alone that you too can be raised again from the dead unto eternal life, just as he was. So as we close here today, the purpose of this book is for you. So my question to you is, would you trust him 
today? Would you trust him today? Whenever you listen to this message, it will be today. Whenever you listen to this message, it will be today. And salvation will be available to you today. Whenever you listen to this word, it will be today. And today will be the day of salvation. So will you trust him today? Will you put your hope in him today? And I plead with you to call upon him today. Salvation can begin for you right now, today. The prophet of Joel prophesied in Joel 2.32 that it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then Romans 10 and verse 13 says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then Acts 2 and verse 21, quoting Joel chapter 2 says, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the word for you today. And you can trust in him because he not only died, the tomb is empty. The tomb is not only empty, but he is risen and he is risen indeed. He is risen indeed and there were eyewitnesses. And you have millions of believers today that testify, that have the testimony of the Spirit. So call upon Him today. Call upon Him today. The simplicity is just call upon Him. That is the word for you today. He came for you. He died for you. Just call upon Him. And say, Lord, I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again for me. And Lord, I'm asking you today to save me from my sin. I believe that your sacrifice was enough for the entire world. So I won't have to die and, and, and burn in the lake of fire for all eternity trying to pay the price for my own sin because you've already done it. And you rose from the dead and have proven yourself to the entire world. So would you trust in him today and would you call upon him today? Father, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for the resurrection. Jesus, wow. Thank you, Lord, that I pray that as I raced through John chapter 20, as I raced through, Lord, I just pray that your spirit, Lord, would highlight verses lord they don't have to remember everything that was spoken today but i pray lord that your spirit would just highlight certain verses and certain points and i pray lord that um, that they would remain father within the lives of your people within the hearts and within their minds lord that they would not get away from uh, from your word that they would relax that they would reflect lord and, and and ponder lord and meditate upon certain words and, and truths spoken today I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone listening to this that doesn't know you, I pray that they would have, Lord, no peace because there is no peace outside of you. Lord, you entered the room when the disciples were afraid and you said, peace, I give to you peace, I give to you peace, I give to you. You are the one who brings peace and there is no peace outside of you. So, Father, I pray that they would not have peace. I pray that they would be restless every single day until they surrender and until they call upon you. Father, I pray, Lord Jesus Christ, that you 
Lord, would, would save uh, many souls, Father, even through the teaching of this word, this simple message today that many would be saved. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you have risen indeed. So for that, we serve you. For that, we worship you. For that, we accept the Great Commission and we go and we tell people that you are risen indeed. Father, empower us by your Spirit to go. And Father, may we worship you for you are worthy of all praise and all honor and glory. We rejoice. We are in awe of you today. We love you and we bless you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. We'd love to hear from you. Visit us at thewaycitychurch.org.